Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, a best-selling author, and a speaker. I love taking these nonprofit leadership topics on the road or into your Zoom room. If you need someone for your next conference or workshop, check out my new speaking page at pattonmcdowell.com for more information. Well, I've got another fantastic conversation for you in this episode. It's with Laura Belcher, who returns to the path after a wonderful previous episode. It was number 51, where she talked about the possibility of a merger for your nonprofit. Well, this time she talks about another thought-provoking topic for nonprofit leaders, and that is the concept of a sabbatical. Laura was able to take a sabbatical from her role at Habitat for Humanity of the Charlotte region. And of course, that sounds wonderful. I know to anyone listening that needs perhaps the opportunity to unplug and recharge. And Laura acknowledges that. But what I think you're going to find fascinating about this conversation is that it's more than just the personal benefits of a sabbatical that she and her organization were able to incorporate. In fact, I hope you'll listen closely for the details around the thoughtful and proactive process that she, her leadership team, and her board of directors went through. And what will quickly be apparent is this really is a masterclass in strategic planning, succession planning, and stress testing your organization in the event of someone's absence or departure. Not to mention the very real concept of simply taking care of your leadership. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 214. Just go to the new podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find all of the resources and topics Laura and I discussed, as well as more information on the great work she's doing through Habitat for Humanity in the Charlotte region. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Laura Belcher. Laura, thank you for joining me on the path. I'm so glad to be here, Patton. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you back because, in fact, you have appeared on this podcast before in a wonderful previous episode. And, and so this conversation is going to take in in slightly different direction. And I heard you speak recently about this, and it's the concept of a sabbatical. And I bet our listeners right now, particularly those that are feeling a little bit worn down, are like, yeah, that would be great for me personally. But you made a compelling case, Laura, about the power of a sabbatical, frankly, for the whole organization, not just the person who takes it. So let's start with that. What is there a key element to uh, why a sabbatical would be good for the organization? Absolutely. So, um, you know, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Uh, I, I do believe um, and we'll get more into you know how a sabbatical was good for me as a leader personally, but. Um, for the organization, I think it's a great opportunity for expanded leadership, right? It's, it is an opportunity for um, members of the senior team to really uh, stretch in new ways. Uh, it, it strengthens collaboration and um, collaborative problem solving uh, in a way that uh, um, maybe doesn't always exist when you've got you know, the senior leader there to, uh, uh, to, to handle some of those kinds of um, issues and opportunities. And so um, I think it's good for an organization that stretches and builds new muscles uh, in ways that uh, really have lasting positive impact for the organization. Yeah, I love the way you use that kind of exercise analogy. We talk a lot about giving our senior teams 
uh, legitimate leadership experience, but perhaps we never really are able to do so. But you, of course, uh, prove that that is very possible in this scenario. So I'm excited to unpack that. Uh, for those listeners, Laura, who don't know you, though, let's go back a bit. And if you would talk a little bit about your journey and what experiences led to the work you're now doing at Habitat. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I joined Habitat Charlotte Region as the CEO and president. Uh, it'll be nine years next month. Um, so it's been um, a great journey. Uh, I've done the first half of my career was in uh, corporate work. I have an accounting and finance background uh, and then transitioned um, about 18 years ago uh, into nonprofit. So I'm almost at the 50-50 mark, the 50% corporate, 50% um, mission-based work. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, um, it's been a, a joy to work with Habitat um, and uh, uh, to get to this point in my career. What do you like best about the work you do, Laura? Yeah, given that 50-50 split, uh, we uh, won't talk about the first half. <laughs> we'll talk about the mission-based half. What do you like yeah. best about leading Habitat, Charlotte? I mean, I, I really, um, the team I work with is is amazing. So that's that's a big piece of it. Um, and the work that we do, I think, is so needed in the community. Um, and so it all ties back to uh, finding a mission that is is truly a calling, and then you know leaning into that every day. Um, so I, I like the work we do. Um, I believe that it is needed and necessary work uh, in this community. And the team that I get to do it with every day is a blessing. Yeah, well put. It's hard work too. And for those. Uh, listeners who are in the sector, they already know that. For those maybe outside the sector, like you were before you joined, sometimes I think we underestimate, or, or those some underestimate, the intensity of the work, which maybe is a good segue to this topic, the, the sabbatical. And so I wonder, before we unpack the practical applications of a sabbatical, how, tell your sabbatical story. How did this idea originate and, and take us through the point of when you left? Yeah, yeah, no, so I'm, um, I'm really fortunate. The sabbatical uh, was conceived of by my board of directors. So um, they awarded me the sabbatical a bit as a surprise. Um, uh, it was a retention strategy. So they told me about the sabbatical and uh, told me that I could take it um, after I'd hit five years in the leadership role. So um, they told me uh, two years in advance of when I was eligible for it, which allowed both for planning and also retention strategies and things of that sort. Um, and then as often happens, uh, life happens. So right as I became eligible for my sabbatical uh, and started looking at dates and processing how I would do it, uh, we announced a corporate merger with our organization and decided I decided that for professional reasons, I should not um, leave right in that moment. Uh, we had a lot going on. Uh, and then you might remember um, the pesky pandemic uh, came <laughs> along and uh, yes. uh, I decided that a um, stay-at-home sabbatical wasn't what I was really hoping for. I was hoping for a more uh, global experience. Right. Uh, and so I postponed um, for that. Um, and so it did take several attempts to get the right timing because of, um, you know, both profession and professional and personal uh, items, but then finally last fall uh, did take 10 weeks off. So I was um, away from the office for 10 weeks. Um, and so had had plenty of time to plan that, some because of the pandemic and things like that. But, um, um, you know, that gave me good time to contemplate how we wanted to structure it and quite honestly, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. 
Yeah. Well, it leads, I got all kinds of questions related to that because it, uh, how you planned again was, uh, evidence very thoughtful. And we'll talk about that. I, I guess, um, in this case, I want to underline the retention value. Again, you weren't seeking it, but you got an enlightened board, frankly, who realized that this might be a factor. So it wasn't, in other words, Laura, when you first took the job, this wasn't a concept being discussed, but I guess nonprofits could consider this, right? In your case, did they determine kind of the five-year mark was a, a natural milestone? Yeah, um, it, it was. the board determined that um, and, and offered it and, you know, obviously highly appreciated from my my perspective so we didn't really have a, a ceo sabbatical policy when i was right. hired so it wasn't something that was already out there that i was striving for um you know or some organizations that have them or are contemplating them are looking more at the seven and ten year mark yeah um, but I, yep. I'm thrilled. Uh, I was thrilled with the five-year offer i ultimately ultimately took it at eight year eight year eight because of um those other hurdles um but yeah i, I it it's, I think it's a great um, retention strategy to have something that rewards uh, tenure over time. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I, again, among the many takeaways, I think our listeners are going to get one is, do you even have a sabbatical strategy and a, a, a policy, if you will? And and you're, you're saying, though, that what you hear is 7 to 10. Is that fair as to, I know there's not some official rule as to when a sabbatical would be appropriate, but you're hearing 7 to 10 years? Yeah, I think if you if you benchmark organizations or you know that are that are providing them, I hear more around that seven and ten is kind of the um, the milestones that are that are being recognized um, for for executive leadership. What was the logic to ten weeks, Laura? Let me ask you that kind of tactical question. Was how how did that decision get made in terms of literally how long you'd be gone? Um, it it was kind of a it was, that was a little bit negotiated. Um, you know, the original uh, suggestion from the board was an eight week sabbatical. I asked if I could tack on two more weeks of PTO, um, just because of some of the things I was trying to do. Um, I didn't want to uh, you know make it too long, um, but I, I felt like um, you know ten weeks was going to give me the the opportunity to separate and decompress, um, but yeah. also. Uh, not so long that um, it overburdened the organization while I was gone. Well, again, it, you're fortunate, as you acknowledge, to have an enlightened board. Uh, but I imagine there are board leaders out there that might have some reservations. And again, you can help me anticipate. One of which is just, hey, Laura, you know, we're worried when you're gone, what's going to happen? Um, are there other, or were there any hesitations or if not objections that you got or that you might anticipate a board in, in considering something like this? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've, I've had a couple of conversations before and after, um, I, I, you know, I think my board was um, amazingly supportive and and did not air a lot of concerns other than um, some of their concerns was were that I would not uh, disconnect enough and that I would stay too engaged with the organization. So <laughs> right. um, their, their concern was, was really more for me to, to really separate and, re-energize and rejuvenate. Um, you know, but some of the things I've heard from other organizations and, and other boards uh, that have been hesitant is, um, you know, like you said, you know, who who is the decision maker when the, the executive leader is is out? Is, does it go to the board or does it go to the staff? Right. Um, and then uh, the other is, um, you know, kind of this idea that sometimes, uh, and I think it's fear-based um, and not necessarily 
um, research-based that someone goes on a sabbatical and they come back and they leave their job, but they, right. they go right. and they find themselves and they come back and they, you know, immediately quit their job. Um, I, I've known multiple leaders that have taken sabbaticals that don't do that. So I don't think the research proves that out. I think, you know, I, I think there's a risk that if you don't provide a sabbatical, somebody might burn out and leave. And there might be a risk that if you do provide a sabbatical, somebody takes it and then comes back and leaves. But I think mostly um, if if people are drawn to the mission work that they're doing, uh, the opportunity to refresh and then come back and recommit to the work um, is probably stronger than the desire to walk away from it. Yeah, it was a genuine retention strategy then, right? Or th- yes. that was in fact, and I'm I'm glad you said uh, air on the side of retention versus I guess there's always some risk that someone could leave, but you're right. They're more likely to leave if they're burned out and you don't do things to support them. And so hopefully that is the, the takeaway on that front. Um, all right. How much time, again, you had an extended time to ponder this given the circumstances of the merger and the pandemic. But it, again, from a tactical perspective, do you have any reflection on, yeah, if you're going to do this, you probably need a year to get ready or six months or is there, yeah. what do you think? You know, I don't know that there's um, a magical time frame, um, but I do think, you know, intentional thought needs to go into it. So I wouldn't rush it. So I I do think the six to 12 months makes sense um, to kind of uh, be able to both personally plan on how to make it a rewarding time um, uh, for the individual that's away, um, but also to prepare the organization um, to be able to think through a lot of what if scenarios. Right. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time in you know, you know, in negative space of what could go wrong, but also what could go right. You know, yes. what, you know what what could be some major um, positive things that happen, and how would how would the organization deal with that? So playing out a lot of what if scenarios um, enables um, both, I think, the leader, the board, and the senior staff to feel uh, empowered. Well, let me unpack that a little bit. You know, what were some of the scenarios you and your team and maybe board leadership pondered, both good and bad? Can you give an example maybe of the types of scenarios you were ready for? Yeah, yeah. I gave, uh, you know, in, in working with the the board, uh, I kind of gave them two two scenarios. Um, you know, as a, uh, a housing organization that is seeking land, I said, you know, what what happens if we were to identify a, a parcel of land that we thought was just perfect and ideal and cost $2 million, more than anything we've ever paid for land before. Right. But we also know that those land opportunities, they don't linger, right? Like you gotta, you gotta jump on them. <laughs> right. Like, you know, so we talked through like, okay, if that were to happen, don't, don't wait for me to get back, you know, convene a meeting, call, call together uh, the land committee, get subject matter experts together, make a decision and act on it. Um, similarly, I said, look, you know, if a member of the senior staff, wins the lottery and decides that they they need to, um, you know, move to, you know, um, you know, the other somewhere fun. <laughs> yeah, somewhere fun, uh, move to an island. Um, you know, don't wait to start the job hunt, like start gotcha. the job description, you know, maybe, maybe wait for the final hiring decision until I get back, but don't wait um, until I get back, right? The whole idea was to not put our mission on hold. Um, how do we keep advancing the mission? How do we keep, um, positioning the organization for success and not putting things on hold. So those those were two of the um, the kind of the scenario playing that we were using to reinforce that we really weren't trying to create a situation that was just just hold it together and wait for Laura to come back. 
but it was, let's keep doing the good work we're doing and advance the organization. And then when Laura comes back, you know, she'll just step right into pace with what's already going. Yeah, that's fantastic. It wasn't just hold the fort as an interim sense, right? You wanted to continue to move in the direction you had established. And as you know, Laura, in higher education, often sabbaticals equate to, you know, writing your book or research or doing, quote, productive, creative activities. But it sounds like there was no obligation for you to go do something while you were gone. Is that correct? And would you kind of, how did you approach that what you were going to do while you were taking your time away? Yeah, no, the, you know, I think um, sabbaticals historically, you know, have, they come in different shapes and sizes and some, you know, definitely for, you know, you know the, the higher education sector come with writing and research often um, in the faith-based institutions uh, pastors are often taking sabbaticals and, and working on uh, sermon topics and things like that. Um, the, the board asked me to really um, disconnect and to recharge so that I could come back to the organization um, uh, energized and ready to go. So kind of a filling of my cup approach um, right. rather than a, um, you know, a research or professional development, but a more of a recharge approach. So I think there's different seasons and different approaches to sabbaticals. This was the right one for me personally and for our organization, but I think um, some that are, you know, skill-based or professional development-based um, can also be very rewarding. So I don't think they, you know, I don't think there's one size is perfect for every organization or every season of leader. Yeah, well put. And again, that something though, again, our listeners can ponder, you know, what kind of philosophic approach they and the organization might take to that departure. But I think many listening would probably appreciate that, hey, if you need to simply unplug and recharge your batteries, that's a good thing, whether or not you want to produce something, you know, creatively or research, that would be up to you. Uh, I do want to go back to the structural. You talked about scenario planning, which again is a great takeaway, I think, to literally anticipate actual possibilities. Uh, talk about the the structure you left behind. In other words, I could see someone listening say, all right, well, did you just name kind of an interim while you were gone? Or how did you define and, and kind of process the the responsibilities of leadership you had after you left? Yeah. Um, and so I think, again, there's multiple ways that uh, an organization can do it. For us and, and what works uh, for me, uh, I've got a great team um, of um, professionals. And so what we did is we identified, I identified uh, two of my team and asked them to serve as the interim office of the president. Okay. Uh, so I didn't tap one person. Um, I actually tapped two so that we had some distributed leadership um, and, you know, asked them to to take that on. And um, we met um, multiple, multiple times in the 60 days leading up to my departure to kind of go over um, questions they had, um, how to divvy up different responsibilities, who was going to be responsible for what. So we really took, um, you know, preparing for board meetings, who was going to prepare for the board meetings, staff meetings, who would prepare for staff meetings. So we, we took some of the things that usually fall on, onto my plate and divvied them up between the two of them based on um, their schedules and, and time demands. Um, and that worked out um, uh, really well uh, to have two. I know other organizations may only have the ability to tap one person to act in, in that interim space. And that that is, um, uh, I've seen that approach be very successful as well. Um, but for our, our organization, um, the luxury of having two people and having um, them share that and have each other to 
use as sounding boards. They met on a weekly basis, the two of them, um, to talk through what was going on and to see if there was anything that the other one needed from each other. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and it, of course, strikes me that one, they're getting to exercise the, the CEO muscles, if indeed they someday wanted to be one themselves. They have mm-hmm. an appreciation, I bet, Laura, about what it <laughs> means to be in your chair, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly that you deal with from the top chair. Um, but I guess let me ask this question. I mean, I, that I assume they may have also learned that they, it added things to their plate. So was there was there a downside to that, or did they in turn have to kind of reorchestrate their, you know, workload because they added more? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was um, uh, a good exercise for them uh, and the rest of their teams on some delegation, right? So there's some things that in order for them to absorb more into their plate, they needed to share some things with the rest of their team. And so it does have a bit of a ripple effect for the organization, which I think is it's yeah. good. Again, it stretches yeah. everybody's capacities and, and um, builds new muscles. Um, I heard it described one time as that um, uh, you know, the sabbatical for the organization and the leadership team is like a rubber band. It, extra- it, it stretches to be able to, to do um, these additional things. And then when the leader comes back, the rubber band contracts, uh, but the rubber band never goes back to the exact same size. Right? Interesting. So, um, you know, there is um, ongoing um, you know, benefit from the, the, the stretching and then the coming back. Um, I'll, I'll share two real quick um, comments that were made to me when I did come back. Um, <laughs> one was um, uh, somebody said, I, I, I never knew how much um, effort it goes into making a board meeting look effortless. <laughs> Good. Um, so that was one. And the other one was uh, uh, someone apologized to me for all the times that they had ever knocked on my door and said, do you have a minute? Um, <laughs> they realized that uh, a minute is never a minute. If someone needs my time, it's usually more than a minute. Great point. And yeah, to the earlier comment about an appreciation for the subtleties and less than subtle items you have to deal with as a, a CEO. Uh, but again, you've now distributed some of those leadership issues and awareness, right, to yeah. your team and their, in, in turn, they're probably sharing it with their team. So I think that's, that is fantastic. Um, all right. The, I know this is an open-ended question, Laura, but how did it go? And I guess specifically, did it take a while for you to really unplug? Did you find, you know, how did, how was the experience for you personally? Um. Yeah, it did take more than a minute. I mean, you know, sabbatical is different than a um, vacation, right? Or, you know, you take a week's PTO and we all know that you take a week off and, you know, for a day or two, you might be thinking about what left was left on your desk and a day or two before you get back, um, you're thinking about what's in your inbox. Um, so, you know, preparing for a sabbatical needs to be different than preparing for a week-long vacation. It needs to be more intentional and more distributed. Um, workflows um, and, and not just piling up. It, it, it's not rewarding to come back after 10 weeks away and have, you know, 10 weeks of emails in my inbox, right? Like that. that exactly. Um, for me personally, um, you know, for the first couple of days, week, I, I did think and worry about, you know, what did I not get done? What did I not tell somebody? Um, so there wasn't going to be a smooth transition. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I talked, yes, you know, and I, you know, talked to the office only, you know, only twice in those first couple of days. Uh, and then probably the best thing that I did for me personally, Patton, is then I left the country. 
Um, and there's nothing like a, a long airplane and um, several hour time difference uh, <laughs> to help you disconnect. Yes. Um, yes. So the country did help. Um, and the team, I knew that they knew how to contact me uh, and they and they didn't. So I took confidence that things were going fine because I knew that, that if something was completely off the rails, they would have let me know. But um, so I I trusted them and kind of let go that if they, they weren't reaching out to me, I didn't worry about what was going on. I'm impressed as one that I confess, I think I'd have a hard time taking a peek at not taking a peek at email or other communications. So you are saying that you, you really did unplug and they did in fact, not chase you down. Yep. So, um, I, um, did a couple of things, uh, and some advice that I got, I, um, you know, I follow some social media, I follow, Habitat on social media. So one of the things that was suggested is that I unfollow Habitat while I was gone. And so wow. I did, which meant unfollowing four different sites, right? Because we right. have a, a large social media presence. So I unfollowed all of that. Um, quite honestly, I stopped reading the local newspapers so that I wouldn't read about local housing things and think about, oh, we should respond this way or we should talk to so-and-so. Uh, Good so point. I that, um, and I did not check any work email. Um, I have a fabulous um, executive assistant, and she checked all my email, and she routed them appropriately uh, to other members of the organization. Um, and so I did not need to check email. Yeah, impressive. But again, uh, evidence of your organization, too. You couldn't have done that you know, with one week's notice, right? But you were thoughtful, right. and you sought advice, it sounds like, from others that had been through that sabbatical as well, which I think was another smart takeaway. Um, did you, were you ready to come back? Can you comment on, was the 10 week period the right amount or did you find yourself like, yeah, I was ready to come back at nine weeks or, or I could have used three more weeks. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, more time off is always good, but, um, <laughs> I do think, you know, um, I think it needs to be at least four or six weeks Otherwise, it's just a, a little bit longer vacation, right? Right. Really I think it needs to be something more than four weeks. So um, I, I really do think that, I, you know, I was feeling good um, and, you know, ready to come back. I mean, sure, you know, if I could have stayed on sabbatical longer, that would have been great. But, um, yeah. you know, wasn't in the dice. Um, um, but I was ready to come back. I missed the team. Um, uh, I missed the affirming work that we do. Um, and so it was the reentry was not hard because um, I like the work that I do and the team that I do it with. Yeah, well, good evidence of that that you've shared. And one more tactical question. I'm sure you were thoughtful about this. The time during the year you took the sabbatical, was that intentional? In other words, not it year end, you know, from a budget perspective or not during the most busy time programmatically or from a fundraising perspective, or how did you approach when you took? The sabbatical yeah um yeah absolutely you know i think that that it feels like there's never a perfect time to take it to be honest right like there's always something going on exactly right? if we wait for a time where there's nothing going on we'll never um we'll never leave um but i was thoughtful in trying to figure out when when did i want to take it um and you know so the fall months felt like the best time for for us um for me uh, based on the cyclicality of our year, to your point, I, you know, the springtime is is often trying to wrap up our fiscal year and our budget. 
Um, you know, and then we, you know, we launched the new year. And so I kind of felt like, okay, we'll launch the new year and then I'll go uh, and then I'll come back uh, and be back before the holidays. I intentionally didn't want to be on sabbatical during the holidays. I wanted to be, um, you know, back and, and present for the holidays. So, um, you know, I did strategize both um, professionally and personally when I wanted to be away. Yeah, makes good sense. And I knew you would, as I know you were also thoughtful about your re-entry, your return. Talk about the approach to the re-entry and how you manage and your team manage that process. Yeah. Um, you know, so what, what I wanted to make sure and, and um, you know, what the board also asked me to do was to think about what would be different when I got back. Um, you know, the, you know, like that rubber band that doesn't go back into the exact same position, what would be different and how to be intentional about that. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, um, the big thing I didn't do is in, in for the first 30 days back, I didn't do any attention, do anything that was um, really intentionally different um, because I didn't want to um, jump to conclusions. I wanted to yeah. see how everything had gone. Um, how was how the team holding up? Um, you know, what were their lessons learned? And some of that takes a little bit of time um, to absorb. Right. Um, and so, um, the big thing, you know, as as I re-entered, you know, I stepped into some of my roles, but at the same time, I also leaned into, you know, uh, enabling my senior team to do some of the great work that they were doing without me to continue, right? Um, and so I think it was a realization that was good for them and me that I don't I don't have to be in every meeting. They can, they can solve a lot of uh, opportunities uh, without me, um, and then escalate things as needed, right? And so. Um, we kind of adopted a, a, a mantra over time of how do we make sure that I'm working on the business and not in the business? Yeah, um, well put. And, and so, you know, that, that's been part of how we've been trying to, um, you know, really exercise the lessons learned over the last six months. Well, I was going to ask you, and you anticipated the question with the, the rubber band analogy, uh, what was different when you got back? And it sounds like it created a positive discussion around, meeting management, right? Or, or just how you can remain on the business. But was there anything else that, that surprised you or was different when you returned? I, I mean, I think, it, you know, I think the opportunity for the team to work more as a team, right? Like right. To, to be collaborative. So I have loved seeing that they, they and, and, you know, have encouraged that and rewarded that since I've been back. Yeah. Again, it it leads to, again, you're such a good proponent of leadership development as evidenced by how you designed your sabbatical. How does this change, if at all, your philosophy about the sabbatical concept? And again, it's not practical for every organization to allow everybody to take a sabbatical, but is it something you're thinking about? In other words, can you extend this to other members of the team? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think it's an interesting um uh, exercise to think about, right, is, um, you know, are, are all positions um, positioned uh, to to take a sabbatical and, and for the organizational success? And um, this will sound a little bit um, funny, maybe, um, but I, I do think that um, uh, the organization can manage through not having the executive leader if we've got a strategic plan and we've got an operating plan and we've got a budget. Right. Um, maybe easier than it can operate without some of its, um, you know, individual skilled um, providers, right? So good point. Um, there wasn't a need to um, go hire 
somebody to backfill me. But um, you know, if in your organization you have one person that um, pays all your vendors and they take a 10 week sabbatical, you're gonna have to go hire somebody to pay all your vendors right. Around, right? Like so um so I think it's important for an organization to think through um you know if if they're going to adopt a sabbatical program, what positions in the organization, how long um would those positions you know be out? What what's the right tenure? Is there different tenure for different roles within the organization? Um, you know, we know executive leadership um, oftentimes, you know, works, you know, sometimes 24-7, thinking about the mission, being present, you know, being present in the office, being present in the community, you know, all those things. So the sabbatical does give a disconnect from the organization that I think is healthy and then allows us to come back into, um, you know, that role that, that oftentimes can be 24-7. Um, so I, I do think that there's opportunities uh, to, to think about how to roll out uh, sabbatical across a broader portion of the organization. Um, but I think that's something that needs to be done thoughtfully with um, the board and you know the senior leadership of the of the organization to figure out what what are the real ramifications um, to the ability to execute on our mission um, when people are in and out. Yeah, it's a great point. And again, I, I know that is your among your chief pieces of advice, right? Is it the the implementation of any sabbatical process is going to vary based on the organization size and scope and other factors. And that's what you're encouraging. Uh, but if nothing else, your advice is like, they need to think about it, right? You, you're encouraging, I guess, as a piece of advice, organizational leaders ought to think about this concept as you started with as a retention tool, but there are other benefits as well. No, absolutely. I think a retention tool, um, you know, uh, rewards and benefits, um, um, I think, you know, again, you know, maybe it's for professional development. Um, yeah, I think there's lots of benefits. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it's important to consider it and consider uh, the benefits to the individuals and the organization. Um, but at the same time, to you know, it's not a panacea. And, and so, you know, just caution, you know, kind of not to rush into it without good thoughtfulness and planning and anticipation, uh, again, of what can uh, happen while individual positions are out of the organization. Yeah. And of course, you've been quick to point out that you you benefited from uh, an organization that has the size and scope maybe to manage around this. That uh, I, I'm thinking about, I still think there are principles that could apply, but there are logistical challenges, right? For a small nonprofit, right? Yeah, or, or have you thought about, could it still apply at almost any size nonprofit or what criteria do you think would need to be considered? No, I think it absolutely can, you know, I, I, I would not say that just because an organization is smaller, that it should not be considering this. I think that the uh, maybe some of the practical implementation might be a little bit different. You know, right. I have, you know, like I said, a, a skilled and valued executive assistant that, you know, read all of my emails and routed them. That may not be a smaller organization may not have that. And so there may be a, a, a more distributed way of handling um, emails or uh, an out-of-office announcement that says, if you need this, you go there, and if you need that, you go there. Um, and, and you know, there, there's other ways to tactically think about how to do it, um, you know, and, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases, also, I would think uh, that the board might step in a little bit more and figure out how the board uh, helps uh, execute some of those executive actions. Maybe the board, you know, plans and runs its own board meeting. Right, uh, right. You know, 
and and yes, you know, so I think that you know you've got organizational resources both you know on staff but also um, from the board perspective that can get more engaged. Great point. And the ultimate distributed leadership, right, Laura, is that if the organization looks steps back and looks at all of that, maybe they won't give up because they think, well, we just have a small staff. There's no way we could pull this off. Well, maybe, in fact, you could. And Agreed. and you and I hear all the time, again, the challenges in this sector of turnover, right? Okay. So I just I think that's another reason I'm glad to amplify this as you are. Um, well, I mean, are there other, I guess, policy implications here or anything else that you all changed as a result of your sabbatical or anything else that you'd want a listener to think about in terms of the implications here? I mean, you know, from a policy perspective, there was a little bit of the, you know, just the tactical aspects of, you know, who's going to sign checks and who's going to authorize, uh, you know, PTO requests and, you know, those things, you know, some administrative things that used to come um, we redistributed those and actually determined that there were better ways for others in the organization to actually do some of that. Um, so some of that didn't come back onto my plate. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, and so, you know, things that just over time you get used to doing that maybe aren't the best and highest use of your time as the executive leader. Um, you know, when you break some of those habits, you realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And maybe there is a better way to get that done. So it gave us some of that opportunity to look at um, you know, what checks do I really need to be signing and, you know, what, you know, what administrative things do I act, do I really need to be involved in and which ones do I not need to be involved in? And so that, that I think was helpful. And again, trying to think through all the things that I did over a, you know, 60 day, 90 day period before I left. Every time I did something administratively, I thought to myself, well, who's going to do that while I'm gone? Um, and then when I got back, if the question was, do I need to do it again now that I'm back or should somebody else keep doing it? It sounds like you achieved a very positive stress test, right, on a lot of your administrative functions. Is that fair? That's fair. Yep, we did. And that, again, to your earliest points, the the the, the positive impact of this is, in fact, you get to to stress test issues without losing your leader. In other words, <laughs> I think a lot of organizations stress test the hard way, right, because someone literally walks out but you were able to do it and not leave and in fact, come back stronger, your organization stronger. Um, I wonder, Laura, do you think more and more organizations will consider the sabbatical concept as a recruitment tool? You know, I hope we- so. yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think that as you see more organizations do it, I think it will be something that will get asked more um, as uh, you know, as folks are being recruited, um, you know, they will ask whether or not that's something under consideration. Yep, um, yep. Uh, and, you know, it could be something that, you know, uh, gets more widely adopted. We see it, it, quite honestly, we're seeing it in some for-profit um, businesses as well. Uh, they're adopting sabbatical um, strategies um, along with nonprofits. Yeah. Well, Laura, this is fantastic. Lots of good takeaways. And again, I wonder any final advice for, uh, I imagine most of our listeners are, current or they aspire to be in nonprofit leadership, or they're like, wow, you know, you've given me a new way to think about it. But any other advice you'd ask, uh, offer them if they, I guess they're going to go back to their board, right? Ultimately, that's where this conversation probably goes. Yeah, I think, you know, if if somebody is desiring a sabbatical and you know, doesn't have a sabbatical policy um, or opportunity, then I, I'd encourage them to go to the board, but be thoughtful first and demonstrate um, kind of, you know, their thoughts on how the team wouldn't suffer. Um, and I do think that a big piece of advice would be, 
um, you know, regardless of the role, if you're, you know, if you're staff, you're the executive leader or the board, is to think about it not from a fear-based. Uh, you know, there have been some um, executive leaders I've talked to that said I'd, I'd be afraid to go on sabbatical and be gone for eight or ten weeks, and wow. it might happen while I'm gone, right? So, yep, yep. board can be fearful um, about um, their leader being gone. The leader themselves can be fearful. The staff can be fearful that this is going to be too big a lift. Um, so, my encouragement or advice is to try and um, look at it from the abundance perspective and the opportunity for the organization and the professional development uh, and the increased engagement from the board. Like there are many positive reasons to do it and to not be fear-based. Fantastic. Laura, once again, as you have been throughout this conversation, thank you for all of the great takeaways for someone pondering, I think, a really essential leadership development concept and a retention concept and a ability to test and build the organization's uh, leadership strength. So wonderful. Of course, you know, I've got one more uh, parting gift I'd like to request from you. And <laughs> if you've had time lately or what has a book, I think, been uh, in, in your life that maybe you'd share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, I did a lot of reading while I was on sabbatical, but I will yeah. share um, the, the book that I have recently finished that I have continuously been recommending to folks. Uh, is um, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It is not a business book. Um, That's is, okay. Uh, uh, it is, she, is, she and the book have recently won the Pulitzer Prize, um, and it is a contemporary retelling of the David Copperfield story. Um, wow. In um, uh, the Tennessee mountains um, in uh, rural poverty um, and addresses some of um, our society's biggest challenges around foster care and poverty and addiction. Um, but the characters are fascinating. It is brilliantly written, um, difficult subject matter, but really important, I think, for everybody to read and contemplate, um, um, you know, this reality of, you know, American society. That sounds fantastic. Uh, noted needs to go on my summer reading list for sure. And so I hope our listeners will ponder that and add it to their list of recommended reading as well. Uh, Laura, you've got some good stuff coming up here at Habitat in this Charlotte region, but where can people go to find out more about you and some of the things happening in your world? Absolutely. Would um, love to continue to be engaged with folks. Um, so you can find out more about Habitat Charlotte region at habitatcltregion.org uh, is our website. And uh, you can follow us on all social media platforms. Um, and to find all those handles, probably the best way is to go to our website. So habitatcltregion.org uh, and encourage and invite you all to join us um, in volunteering or following us on social media. Fantastic, Laura. We will link it all up in the show notes for this episode. And Thank you once again for joining me on the path. Absolutely. Pleased to be here. Thanks, Patton. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Laura as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and help you consider the power of a sabbatical for you and your organization. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com. Go to the podcast page and you can find out more about Laura, Habitat, and of course, check out her previous episode, number 51, which we talk about nonprofit mergers. 
As always, I'd be grateful if you'd share this episode with just one other person who's on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Go to that same podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you will see the follow button. And by clicking there, you will not miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And if you like this one, click on the episodes button at the top of that same page and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes or search by topic or guest name. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.